Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. This afternoon, I'm grateful to welcome Joe Candola onto the podcast. Hello, Joe. Hiya. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good, thanks. Good, good, good. Well, for anyone that's listening, um, we've just been discussing the fact that we've both had our hair cut today. And naturally, those that do know me know I've got a lot of it. So uh, how are you feeling after your haircut, Joe? I'm feeling good. I'm sporting a bit of a Gary style on one side because I've had um, a bit of an undercut done, which is quite radical for me. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling like we're bonding over our haircuts. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, dear. Um, just for those that are listening, would you mind giving a, a brief introduction? You know, who, who is Joe? What are you passionate about? What's your background and what you're doing for work? Yeah, so uh, my name's Joe Candola. I'm a psychologist um, that's a, a business psychologist. So I've been practicing for over... 20 years um, around the area of um, organisational psychology um, and occupational psychology. Um, I have a PhD on bias and gender bias, in particular looking at discrimination in organisation um, and how unconscious biases and biases underpin that for women. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I suppose the, the subject of bias is my past passion, both conscious and unconscious. Um, and, you know, just trying to slowly, slowly nudge that needle to make things better and fairer for everybody in the workplace. That's kind of what drives me on every day. Oh, great. Do you mind me asking, where did that come from, Joe? Is that something that's always been sort of innately within you? Was there something sort of as you grew up or in your education, you suddenly went, that's what I'm driven to, to try and do? Was there something? I, th I think I probably migrated slowly transitioned across more and more into the, the area of diversity and inclusion over the years. Um, I, think, I think if anything's going to really get me angry and wind me up is when there's injustice. That, they're the things that actually if I get really stressed in life it's about injustices that are going on either in you know my relationships or in the broader world they're the things that will really wind me up so I think there's something that's probably I've probably only started to recognize over the last few years that this whole thing about doing the right thing being the best and being decent towards other people regardless of how you know we categorize them socially I think I've seen that more and more come out of me and, and therefore I suppose it's probably without me knowing has been guiding me towards this work Oh, uh, well, okay. So in, so in terms of the work you are doing today, what does that look like? So if you just want to introduce maybe your, your company, you know, what you're actually doing, what you're delivering to, to organisations currently. Yeah, so, um, the company I run is called The Bias Gym. So uh, we predominantly develop uh, technology-based solutions to combat bias within organisations. So um, traditionally, there's been lots of work around bias, around educating people about what it looks like. Um, in organisations. That work's been going on for about 10 years now and lots of organisations have done that. I suppose this is the next step in how do we actually really shift things. Um, things have been, there's been very slow progress, if, if any progress in lots of these areas. Um, and I think people are now have the awareness. So what the bias gym is trying to do is bring tools and techniques to people that they can do very easily. It starts really trying to 
get them to think differently. Some of them is about actually trying to retrain the brain around stereotypes, around um, negative associations they have around with certain groups in society that they, that they might not be conscious of. So that's the work we're working on and very much using the academic literature and all the research out there to underpin our approach. So we really, you know, really trying to apply the science to the, um, the world of work. Okay, it's interesting. So, so in terms, how's that sort of being received? So if I look out and I look on, you know, Twitter or LinkedIn, sort of everyone's talking about unconscious bias at the moment really I've, I've certainly seen the last 12 18 months there's a lot more noise in a positive mm. way around that is that something you're seeing in, in the work you're doing yeah the, 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 there's been a lot of noise around unconscious bias for a, a number of years now lots of organizations have done lots of work in this area and typically the work they've done is about how you minimize or neutralize the conditions where bias can thrive so like managing the environment where you're making decisions that actually bias can't therefore be applied to the decision making progress that's what people have been doing um, unfortunately as we know when we make decisions we're often under pressure we're often tired we're often running between things we've got lots of information to deal with so actually the conditions creep back in and can actually lead us to still applying those biases so what i've been trying to do is actually Think about instead of the stopping the application of bias, how do you stop the bias from being activated in the first place? Because if it's not activated in our brains, even unconsciously, it can't then impact our decision making. Your questions, I suppose, was around how it's being received. It's new, it's different. So some organisations have been really embracing of it and been really open to trying these um, different approaches, which has been great. And we've been evaluating some of our work and we've been getting really positive results. Um, other organisations, I suppose, are a bit more cautious, a bit more uh, wary of what we're trying to do. I suppose the question they ask is who else is doing it opposed to does it work, which is always quite an interesting question to, to have posed. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's one of those things that actually as more people do it, it will take off more and more. But it's, um, it's that challenge of getting people to see that this really does work. There's a lot of science behind this. Um, it's been evaluated in an applied context as well as in an academic context. And, um, you know, it is the way, it is the way forward. Um, yeah. So mixed, mixed responses, but overall, those that have been embracing it are embracing it. The, 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 the key thing I've learned through this process, actually, that if organize, if an organization has not done the foundation work around awareness raising of bias, then they are not uh, ready for the kind of things that we're, we're, developing now because they you really need to get people to understand the way the brain processes information and how that can lead to bias both unconscious and conscious so what, what i'm hearing joe is, is there some almost like is it, to, to some extent what you're delivering is almost a sort of intermediary or more advanced sort of yeah it's, build, it's building on all the great work that, that there's lots of people out there that have done great work on uh, unconscious bias working organizations so it's building on that work and trying to move us into the next phase now about okay we have the foundation we, we have awareness but we need the next two steps and they are motivation motivation is critical if people aren't motivated to do anything about it it's never going to change um and we were, we're doing lots of work around that but then also the actual tools to combat it and Traditionally, that has been about managing the systemic stuff. Well, actually, now I'm looking at we're looking at how we manage the stuff in the individual to combat bias. So we're giving them tools, really easy tools that they can do to combat bias. That's, that's great. And when you say when you say sort of tools to help combat bias, are these things that people can practice in sort of five, 10, 20 minute bursts regularly? Or is it something more sort of protracted? 
Yeah, some of them. So, so some of the tools we've got are really, really short. So it's literally, um, it's a, it's a browser-based tool. So it's, you can do it, you know, on any device, your iPad, your your phone. Not, I don't want to support a brand here, but your, your phone, <laughs> your, um, your, your tablet of some sort, your computer of some sort. You can do it on anyone. And it's literally there. They are less than five minutes. Some of them are only three minutes long. And you literally do an exercise that starts retraining the brain around um, stereotypical association, say, is one of the tools we have. And um, you do it for a period of, say, between 10 and 15 days, depending on the tool. And it slowly, slowly starts to get the brain to think differently. So actually, when you come into contact with, say, an attitude object, so say a man or a woman, instead of activating one set of traits, so typically associated with that group, it would activate the range so that actually you are not going in with implicit bias into a decision making process. So people do it for a period of time. And then... What we say is because actually, obviously, these associations can start reforming is they then do it for three days prior to any major decision making process. So appraisal process, a promotion process, a recruitment process. So it's incredibly flexible to the workforce about who's involved with what. They just set their calendar and they start getting reminders to do it three days in advance of the process they're involved in. So it's kind of like it's just in trying training, but also you know this not just in time training because you actually have to have this period of trying to break bias anyway so yeah they're just really easy flexible tools to do on the go you can do them as long as you've got good internet connection you can do them anywhere um you know on, a, on your train journey in <laughs> not where you're driving obviously <laughs> um, but um yeah so they're, they're, yeah that's what we're developing uh, but but if if organizations haven't laid the foundation then people these tools would not work because people need to understand the principles say for example that underpin gender bias and how the different tools address the different aspects of gender bias so that's, that's really exciting obviously we've known each other probably about, about 12 months now joe and i'm now getting my first introduction properly to the bias gym which is it's really exciting though because a lot of the conversations i've had quite recently are around this yeah, again, everyone's talking about we need to be more equal, more egalitarian, you know, make the workplace more fair. But I still see personally, there's still an awful lot of fear at the top. There's still quite a lot of toxicity around being change averse or people just being very, very busy. How do you go about trying to sort of build an aperture in someone's mind to say, let's at least have a look at this bias gym stuff because it's going to give us better decision making in the longer term? You know, how, yeah. do you, how do you open that up? I think I think what you're alluding to this whole point about motivation. This this it, for me, it seems to be the biggest barrier we have going forward is about uh, if people are not motivated to do anything, they're not going to do anything. It's like anything in life, you know. You always say if you haven't got enough time for it, or you make excuses because you don't want it bad enough. And I think that's part of our problem is how bad do people really want this? So I think you know what I've been trying to do is work with organisations and get them to work with the people that really want to want change you know whether they whatever social group they be from or or, or uh, you know identify with is, is work with the people that want change i think there's an element of defensiveness when you start saying to um white men for example white straight men that actually if you've uh, you've never probably been on the receiving end of bias so you don't know what it looks like is one of the one of the challenges you have. So actually it's like about educating them about what does bias look like? What does it look like on the daily, the little behaviours that constantly undermine you if you're a woman or if you're an ethnic minority or if you're, you're gay or whatever, you know, other marginalised group you might be. What are the little behaviours that you would have never seen because you've never been on the receiving end? That's part of it. But then you have ultimately got this whole thing where you're saying potentially to 
to 50% of a board, if you take the top level in an organization, half of you may not be here if you start letting your talent flourish. Because if we take the gender, women, women are equally capable of being leaders and have the skills and abilities to be leaders. And actually, therefore, if you start letting your true talent through, you're either going to have to work harder to keep your position or you might just not be good enough. And this is, this is the chat. And I can understand how that can feel very threatening to people. Um, and this is the whole premise behind bias, if you like. You know, at, at the, unfortunately, you get suppressed performance in an organisation because you have people that have the kind of privileged route. If you, I'm not saying they don't have to work hard. I'm just saying they have an easier route than people that are from a marginalised group. Um, they don't have to try so hard because they're going to get through anyway. And then you get people that are from a marginalised group working really hard, two, three times as hard just to get the recognition. Eventually they give up because so they can't be bothered. So you end up with a situation where one group doesn't have to bother because they're going to get through and the other group can't be bothered because they keep getting knocked back. So as an organisation, you just end up with suppressed performance overall. So that's, that's for me, really the argument behind why you just want to let the best talent get through to run your business regardless of what group they come from or how we choose to categorize them. But that can be very threatening to people that are currently in positions of power in an organization. So it, to me, it's about motivation, the short answer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I've got so many things jumping out in my mind around this. I'm sort of seeing partly, um, Joe for me, is, is, is around this. Yeah, there's, there's a fear, you know, the fear of not having all the answers or the fear of losing position or status or ego. But the structures that these people work within are outdated. Yeah, technology's advancing. We're gonna need more and more agility at the top of organizations. So actually this diversity inclusion piece is a value add if we can just get these senior leaders to be more vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really love your work. What you're doing around vulnerable leadership, I think it's a really, um, it's an interesting concept, and you know, the whole thing about being self-aware and then being vulnerable enough to actually say, I don't have the answers, or I might not be good enough here, or, you know, and and, and welcoming others in, you know, to to enable them to to bring something, um, but. I just don't see it enough, if I'm honest, in organisations. I think, this, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful aspiration. And again, it's one of these things you'll probably find in your work. You work where the appetite is and you work with those organisations that want to really embrace something that's different and could be beneficial for everybody. But, um, you know, I think the whole thing around, if you think about men in particular, the whole thing around toxic masculinity and the expectation that as a man, you are the breadwinner and you have to be the one that goes out to work. You have to be the one that shoots up the organization to, to wear a badge of achievement and um, that all the pressures are around people i think it's very difficult to be vulnerable and admit that you can't you know you you have you have biases or make space for people that might be better than you in certain areas so yeah the argument is it's absolutely is needed we need more um diversity of thought um but whether people are going to make the space because of their own worries about how they're going to be treated if they do step aside or how they'll be perceived. Yes, Rambly answer, sorry, Gary. No, not at all. It's, 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 an interesting, it's an interesting juxtaposition because it comes back to when you introduced what you're doing with the bias, Jim, when you said people are actually waiting for others to go first. You know, is someone mm -hmm. else doing it? And I think it's the same thing here. I, I actually do believe that with the right education, the right understanding, there would be more people looking like me, men with white male privilege, that could have the same conversation you and I are having. But mm. there's not enough people doing it. So too many people don't feel even yeah. slightly enough vulnerable to even try it. 
Yeah, and I think the difference is, you know, we've had that over the years, we've had like the listening organisation, which is great because you put listening and it sounds great, but then you put organisation on it and actually who is the organisation? So it kind of, you can move away from responsibility in a way, but actually what the work you're doing is about vulnerable, being a vulnerable leader, so it's about the individual. Um, so it's about, so it requires a level of change in the individual. Um, and, and some people just will not embrace that. Some people, lots of people will, but some won't. So it's, it's, it's it, you know, it's, it's the same as the area of bias. That's how I see the parallels between our work. The area of bias is actually, it sits, a lot of this sits in the individual. And we all need to just, you know, look in the mirror and sit and try and understand how biases we have that we may not be aware of are driving our behavior towards people that may inadvertently exclude them or make them feel marginalized. It's the same with your work. Mm. So out of interest, what is a bit of a big question this uh, Tuesday. So what, what is in, in amongst all of these things that okay, might not be moving the dial as quickly as maybe we'd all like, but are there aspects within your area of work that do inspire you at the moment? Are there certain people or certain sort of movements that are really moving the dial that maybe listeners aren't actually necessarily seeing or, or hearing about so much? Um, I think um, I think one thing that's um, there's yeah, lots of things inspire me. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to work around. I work around lots of people that want the same thing. I think that's really quite useful to keep you going because sometimes when you're working and you feel like you're pushing water uphill because you are really not seeing much change, it can feel quite um, um, soul destroying. But I think you know connecting with people like you that you know have a similar passion that want to do you know do good and get 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 better be better than we are and then the book you introduced me to about being a co-denter that has really been quite inspiring for me is actually find the people that want to do the work and push the dial and and, and not see everybody as comp comp um, competitors i kind of that's kind of been a bit of an awakening for me over the last couple of years actually we we're better together and we might be doing slightly different things, but how we pull our stuff together and, and, and work to kind of bring a collective force, if you like. So I find that quite inspiring. Um, and I do find it inspiring when you're working with organisations and suddenly you see people go, aha, I get it. I didn't see that before, particularly, and it's not coming, it's not necessarily coming from me. It's coming from when people are sharing their experiences in workshops or, or meetings that some people just did not know was happening to them this power of story is very i find that very inspiring because you see people suddenly go Aha, okay i get it now i get it and i didn't get it before oh that's uh, that's super fun how important for you in that in those workshops i think that's, that sounds really inspiring to me is how important is psychological safety in that environment for people to really bring those whole stories is that something you deliberately sort of promote within those workshops joe yeah it's really it is really important you do try to promote it it doesn't always work um you know you do try to promote it to try and get and it depends on sometimes you get levels you know organizational levels in the room different people have different levels in the room and that can stifle it the other the, the biggest thing that stifles it is actually is when you get somebody in the room that is being very disruptive to having you know to exploring it and they're just shutting down and challenging all the time um, that doesn't just um, obviously get to me as a person at the front of the room trying to kind of um, educate people. I think it, if you're in the room and you're from one of those marginalised groups, you're like, I'm not going to speak up now. I'm not going to speak up now because the, the, they, they just dominate and they set the tone. And you only get a very few strong people that will have the courage to start speaking up against that. 
um, because of the repercussions. They just can't be bothered. They just sit there and think, you know, what? I've seen this is typical of what goes on here. And I've had that a few times said to me, typical of what goes on here, what you've just experienced. Um, and I just can't be bothered anymore. So the, the, it's important to get the safety in practice. It doesn't always work um, for various reasons. I've, I've kind of, um, I've got this, I've got this theory I'm playing out at the minute. I always, um, whenever I run any kind of a bias workshop, the person that's going to be disruptive, white, male, probably straight, could, that, that's an assumption of mine, and they will sit to the side of me, um, if I'm, whichever side of the room, they will sit right next to me, and within the first five minutes of me speaking, they will um, try to uh, say, um, for example, I had run a workshop the other week, was basically, um, I was talking about the way the brain processes information and I suddenly got, no, actually we've got free processing systems. I've read a lot around this and it just went on through the workshop. He was trying to basically prove his credentials over mine. I'm thinking, you know, and it, but it just picks at me all the time. And I've got a feeling part of this is because I am a woman that I am getting undermined. And I have talked to this about my husband, Bina Kandola, who does this work. And we've talked about the differences that happen to him versus me when we're often delivering similar content on how actually I, I get picked up more. So there's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It'd be really fascinating to have a fly on the wall with some of these workshops, wouldn't it? And also just play it, if you was able to do that and actually play back the video and say, right, here's another workshop for you, now Joe's gone. This is how you all acted during that yeah. hour, half a day. Is, is it has, is it, it has some, of the, some of the work of Lisa Kapinski, I think you're talking to her um, very soon. But then the inclusion nudges were, they actually have done some of this in organisations where they videos and played it back. And again, it is an eye opener, but, you know, it's incredibly resource intense. And plus people um, might not sign up to it because of the ethics around it. But it is good to, you know, to see how this stuff's playing out. I've seen some, some shocking stuff when you see some of these behaviours. And, you know, we're not just talking micro behaviours. We're talking quite overt sexist aggression in organisations um, that you kind of think wouldn't be still there. So, yeah, getting a video to play it back, these people, you, you'd be good, but <laughs> they might still not get the point. <laughs> they might still think it's okay. It's actually a point about motivation, isn't it? And I, you know, when I talk about motivation, I look at it very much from a sort of proactive, you know, going out, meeting people, yeah. sharing energy point of view. But there is that, like you say, there's also that, it's also will, isn't it? It's, it's a will to want to try yeah. and learn and to be challenged. Yeah, and there's some, there's some, there's some, there's some really interesting research around um, emotional reaction to um, prejudice and bias or knowing you're biased or even, and, or even how emotion can drive prejudice. And uh, I've been looking at this and, and there's kind of like, um, motivation is important, but actually often, often emotion can motivate us in certain ways. So there's different, if when people find out they're biased, you often get different reactions through to I'm not biased I'm the one person in the population of <laughs> how many ever people are that's not biased through to you know a bit of denial a bit of guilt a bit of blame blaming themselves through to complete acceptance and okay I need to do something about this and I think what what the research is showing that actually these different emotions underpin people's action so if you have a guilt reaction Often, if given the opportunity, you next time round you will make sure you try to correct anything you've done that might inadvertently, you know, worked against a, a disadvantaged group. Whereas, actually, if you have an angry reaction, 
you are more likely to go and take action to do something to harm that group in the future if given the opportunity. So emotion seems to be quite an important factor here that kind of also works in tandem with motivation, either motivation to harm or motivation to be very proactive around supporting progress in um, diversity and inclusion. And I've been and I'm finding it very I'm finding it a very fascinating um, area to be looking at. You know, how, what is people's reactions and actually those emotions, how do they then drive what they do after they've become aware of bias? And if those certain emotions will drive um, negative behavior and certain behaviors, uh, emotions will drive positive behaviors. So, so the angry people on my workshop that don't like it, they're probably the ones that go out and do a bit of damage after. <laughs> it's a theory <laughs> yet to be proved. I was going to say, where's the evidence? How many people yeah, exactly. are out on the streets with cameras? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh dear you know, something you're sort of challenge not challenging but also making me reflect on joe so I've, I've done quite a lot of sort of mindset work recently as well you would call it around sort of mind conscious and thought and mm -hmm. that's a very non-evidence-based approach to actually how we create our emotions through our thoughts and this sort of thing so not, not necessarily for today's chat but i'd love to pick up with you at some point like is, is there there seems to be something between, like, say, this great evidence base that you've got, but also the fact that we're very much in the moment human beings. And we make yeah. decisions in the moment, and it's not always necessarily linked directly to the brain and how we're actually operating. I'm just wondering. You have, you have you have emotions that are triggered by you have emotions that are triggered by something. Hmm. Um, so you know, I've I've come into you know I've had a, a, a challenging day today, <laughs> and actually therefore I've triggered emotions of being quite annoyed at times. Um, but but that's the actual events of triggered emotions or coming into contact with certain people can trigger emotions. But you also get incidental mood states, which also operate. You know, some days you just don't feel yourself. You feel a bit low, or you might feel actually really positive. You know, you have these incidental mood states where actually in the area of bias we know has an impact on um, whether you operate on those biases or not, again, without necessarily being aware of it. So if you are happy, for example, an incidental mood state of just being happy, you are less likely to, um, you are less likely to mitigate your bias. So you're more likely to apply your bias because your, your, your brain is telling you everything's fine. I don't need to monitor or anything like that. So actually happy people are more likely to make biased decisions if the, you know, if the situation is not controlled. Sad people in contrast, note that incidental mood state kind of signals to them that something's not quite right. So they're more likely to be cautious of the environment and actually therefore when making decisions potentially being much more cautious around making those decisions and mitigate bias. So it's fascinating how emotion that you've kind of got those fixed emotions that are caused by something or emotional reactions to something versus and these incidental mood states that all play out in how we behave in the world and whether we, you know, in my area, um, apply biases or not. God. So it is fascinating. There's a really good book actually. There's a, there's a book I'm just trying to see if I can see it on my shelf around emotions and about actually. Uh, that it just looks at emotion in a different way i'll, I'll let you i'll let you get a copy i'll send you a link to the copy it's quite a that would be cool because I'll, I'll add it to the show notes joe actually as well yeah that. That, that'd be really really good so I, I think what i love about this chat and so many of the chats I've had on the post podcast so far is that we're talking about us as human beings you know it's nothing about organizational development how are we structuring the business are we going to hit the numbers you know it's, it's almost like we really are resetting humanity to go actually oh we're all connected and we can all help each other out if we're a bit fairer, a bit more inclusive, then we'll get better results. And it's like, my God, I, I, why can we not just see this? 
yeah. Oh yeah, there is. There is. I was just having a. I just. I was just having an interesting conversation with my hairdresser. <laughs> I must have bored him to tears actually around the area of prejudice. I was like, oh, this that client again coming in to bore me. <laughs> but we were talking about, you know, he was like, do you think you ever get rid of prejudice? And I just, oh, it just, it would just shifts, doesn't it? So whilst we will get, you know, I do believe that over time it might not ever be in my lifetime where we get enlightenment around gender and, you know. Uh, you know, race will probably take a lot longer and, and the different areas where we see prejudice now these are socially constructed these these prejudices and biases we have are socially constructed and our cultures and societies will shift that actually other groups or whatever way our brain shifts will start marginalizing other things and that's it is just a way of um so you know in a few hundred years time they might be looking back and wow i can't believe that was the views they had around <laughs> Uh, men and women as we do now when we look back to some of the stuff around you know some of the early philosophers around gender um but i think there'd be new prejudices that replace it because we're humans and we people seek power and dominance and um generally fight for resource so it's quite built into us so this whole thing about you know coming to this enlightenment where actually wouldn't it be better if we all just loved each other and worked together um it's a great aspiration um I'm not, I'm not sure um, whether we're ever getting there, I don't know, my musings. <laughs> the work, the world. My musings with my hairdresser today. <laughs> I hope you books to go back in a month's time, Joe. No, he's like, he says, like, I'm on holiday, I'm on holiday. <laughs> like, you're ready for the next six months. <laughs> Joe, it's interesting now, this, this has been a real learning for me the last, certainly since I've, I've known you the last months and again, through a couple of the other podcasts, um, Joe, this, this, this fact that our biases are learnt behaviours is like, it blows my socks. Mm. It absolutely blows my mind that we've actually learnt how to be more biased. Do you, does that start really young for you? Is that something that starts at home or is it something that starts later in life? Is there a, anything from the research? That, that, that's yeah, of... it, depends, it, depends on the, it depends on the area of bias. It, it, everything, you know, who we are is socially constructed. You know, the, the, the brain is incredibly plastic, it adapts. You know, this whole thing about nature nurture, we are learning much more than we are nurture opposed to nature and, and what we're learning, you know, and, and the brain's ability to adapt. And this, you know, this is why this whole argument that men and women are, you know, innately different is such a stupid argument because actually the brain is, you can't have that argument and then say the brain is incredibly plastic, it doesn't work. Um, but the, um, Sorry, Gray, your question was, <laughs> I've gone I'm off on one. I'm just thinking back to the Tom Peters discussion, but maybe we'll come back to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's not open that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I lost track of your question then about... Um... You're fine. Okay, I was going off on one. No, you're fine. It was all, it's all good. I can't remember what I asked either. So it's quite entertaining for the listeners. It's totally fine. I have a tendency. I told you I have a scatty head today. I have a tendency to ramble. No, we're just talking about um, bias being learnt behaviours. Oh, yeah, no, that's it. So, so yeah, so uh, very much, you know, learnt. So for, so for gender bias, we know that actually it's practically being conditioned the moment, if not even before birth, um, people like planning their nurseries and which colour they're going to paint it. So the students, that child is exposed to something, you know, the toys they're given. We know that gender is, you know, children as young as nine months already have some sort of understanding of gender stereotypes. So, you know, it's, it's, that is very much getting um, ingrained from birth. And that, so the argument that, um, that we're changing, you know, the younger generation is less biased than the older generation, <laughs> it doesn't bear out because actually they're being exposed to the same sort of cultural 
um, and, and media and you know stimulus that we, we all have been um, so whilst their explicit attitudes are probably becoming much more egalitarian and on the they, they, they genuinely believe in equality the implicit stuff the stuff that's getting programmed into the brain like girls like pink boys like blue is not changing and uh, there are movements to get it changed such as things like toys let toys be toys let books be books you know those sorts of movements are trying to educate people around these stuff so but that's gender but for race it's different I mean, race racial biases actually develop later a bit later in childhood so you know whilst children will clearly see difference in skin color they won't start learning the associations that go with those differences in skin color until they start getting exposed to stuff and that happens a bit later in life so you know so the bias is you know not the, the thing this is this is kind of the premise behind the bias gym is actually not all bias is the same Mm -hmm. uh, and even when you get within one area of bias, so gender bias or race bias, there are different drivers in there. And actually, if you really want to address bias, you need to understand what's going on in your organisation, what's driving the disparity you're seeing, and then getting the right tool to address it. Awareness is great, but awareness, you know, ge generic awareness courses will not change anything because they don't specifically target the bias at play and what's driving it and what's leading to the inequality. So that's what the other bias gym is very much doing. But it's different for different biases. They're not all the same. And we can't treat them as all the same and we can't solve them in the same ways. It's really interesting that, that you, you introduced me, um, Joe, to that um, Let Toys Be Toys. I was, I was having a look quite recently at some of the stuff on their website and I, I loved that post they put out, which was equal pay starts with equal play. And I yeah. felt that such a such a powerful message isn't it yeah exactly and it, yeah it, so you know the, the, the gender pay gap is fascinating so you know and actually if unfortunately only to, you know not many organizations are looking at the race pay gap because they're interlinked you know these these identities are not you know we're not just male or female we have we have intersection uh, intersecting identities and actually there are race pay gaps at play too that inter intersect with the gender pay gap that need to be looked at if we're ever going to get equality in pay but the um, gender pay gap is fascinating because actually it's being explained away by difference in either working hours or working level. Um, so it's been justified. So, you know, actually the reason women are paid less than men are because actually they're in lower levels of the organisation or they're working part time. The reason um, ethnic minorities are paid less than white people or white men in particular is because they're not in senior positions. And so it's kind of getting, so the same, actually everybody's paid equal. It's just that actually there's differences in the levels and that's what's causing the gap. And, but then you've got to beg the question, and then I did a brilliant article I think I posted on LinkedIn around this, is actually you've got to beg the question then is why are these people at lower levels? Why are women at lower levels in the organisation? Why are ethnic minorities not um, reaching senior levels in organisations? Um, because bias must be at play. So it's, it's kind of like it's, it's, the gender pay gap concerns me because I think people are using quite rational arguments to explain, explain it away and not recognising that actual bias is still underpinning that outcome. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that goes and actually whether there, should, there will be calls to start publishing more pay gaps. One, one thing I'd want to explore with you, Joe, well, I've got you, if I may. Mm -hmm. I, I hear quite a lot, and I've had it quite close to home, if I'm honest with you, I've had it with friends and also people at work, that gender neutrality can be seen as to be PC gone mad. You know, it's quite a throwaway comment and a little bit dismissive. Do, you, do, do that come from people just not wanting to be bothered to try and understand what those differences are, do you think? Or, so I hear political correctness being batted around a lot when it comes to things like bias and 
you know, discussing ethnic groups and etc. Yeah. Um, yeah. Explain what you mean by gender neutrality, because I think I've heard it used in several different ways. Okay. Yeah. What, what, um, what I mean by that is, so for example, if you were looking at, you know, you've, you're looking at gender neutral toys, or you want to make sure that it's not pink or blue when you've had a newborn baby, people go, oh, she's a bit PC, or he's a bit PC because they've gone for gender neutrality. That's the angle I'm coming from. So oh, right, okay. there's a sort of- Opposed to I'm, I'm gender neutral as an individual, because that's the other way I've heard it um, being okay. said. Yeah. Therefore, do not call me he or she or anything. Okay. I don't want to be identified as, as any uh, gender. Okay, no, but in terms of, um, you know, what we're exposed, the, the, I think you just need to expose people to everything. You know, it's kind of like, it's interesting actually, if you, if you look at girls, if we talk about, if we talk about men and women, if you look at girls, it's more acceptable for them to be exposed to masculine kind of colors and toys than it is for boys to be exposed to feminine attributes, behaviors, colors, toys. So, you know, a, a boy playing with a hoover or boys playing with dolls up until, you know, they start, when they start getting to that peer pressure situation, they will soon drop their doll. But they actually as young, lots of young boys, children like to role play and that involves role playing what they see around them. So, um, yeah, so, so it's a, uh, I think it's just about exposing everybody to everything and not, not saying that, not putting the label of actually this is just for girls or this is for boys. I don't think it's political correctness gone mad. I think it's just basically saying find who you are as an individual and what you like doing. Um, unfortunately, I do think it's, it's less acceptable for boys. And this comes back to this concept of toxic masculinity and what's being programmed into boys from a very young age about the behaviours and traits they should and shouldn't display. Um, because it seems less acceptable. So, for example, I could get my daughter a, or friends a blue birthday card, and I, I don't think it'd be frowned on, but if, if they were male, if they were a boy, and I pitched up with a pink fairy, I think the parents might frown upon it a bit, but I don't think there's this backlash about actually if you get your, the, the, the action man for the girl, if you see what I mean. That mm -hmm. it's kind of, it, it does feel like actually in order to get gender parity, we need to really start focusing on this area around men and boys. And, and the mental health situation is not good around, you know, um, young adult men. Um, focus on that because unless that shifts, then actually the, the female part can't shift either because there is only a, a, a limited number of space within an organisation. And actually, whilst men are feeling they need to hold that space and they can't get home to put their kids to bed and they can't, you know, back off a little bit and, you know, let, let other women come, come through, we kind of, we're going to have a battle still going on. Oh, that's, that's, that's really, really powerful for me. And you've reinforced why I'm doing this podcast, to be honest, Joe. So thank you for that. Because I, yeah, as people, some may know, some may not know, but I've gone through my journey the last sort of 18 months around going, oh, look at that. I was bullied at school, you know, self-harmed at uni, oh, had a mental health challenge and went, oh, actually, why have I not spoken to anybody about that? And I'm 41 yeah. years old, yeah. you know, and it's that, you know, that's a big driver for this podcast for me is just to try and have more of these conversations yeah. because... And it's wonderful. It's just yeah. it's wonderful, you know, the people you're connected with, and the, the education you're putting out there, and, and just you know, it's okay just to be you. But unfortunately, we have some very and I think the the thing about bias is we, we talk a lot about unconscious bias, and it's kind of been it's kind of been easier to get it into organisations when you talk it like that. But actually, there's still a lot of overt prejudice around out there um, in organisations out and out in in society in, in more general. Um, but 
if you are if you violate what is expected of you as a person of your gender or your racial group you will be penalized and that penalty can be very subtle it can be very very harsh and it can go through to really you know nasty bullying and everything um it's toxic mm. Just, just, I'll add this to the show notes as well, but for anyone that's interested, there's a book I read from a guy, US guy called Lewis Howes, a book called The Mask of Masculinity, and it was a brilliant, brilliant book about the nine masks that men wear, and mm. I found that really helpful for me, Joe, because I was like, ah, oh, the know-it-all mask, oh, the joker mask, and the things I used to do to mm. fit in with my alpha male environments was I'd become the joker, so I'd yeah. be like, oh, big laughs, big over, and like, I'd, I'd come away from that room, and I'd just be like, oh my god, I've been completely fake totally not Gary and I've just worn this mask of Joker just to get by and no, that's brilliant I look, you know, I look forward to reading that one good, too such yeah. a good book because it's just so 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 powerful because it helped me really start to speak like this about what I've gone through you know I'm not like oh wobito Gary but it's just when you can understand why stuff's happened you actually yeah. get more empowered it's not yeah. empowering it's empowering it's quite quite amazing and you think about I just I was just I'm just thinking out loud now about the you know what we're talking about about you know, people being threatened and not wanting to accept this, you know, people I work with. And I think, you know, is there something about creating psychological safety for these people that are away from these workshops we're running where actually we're pushing a message of gender bias, but it's really about women. <laughs> that actually it's about, we can we create some work around, you know, that, that psychological safety for them to explore their masculinity and actually what that means. And, you know, that, that book's, um, sounds like a great book, but you've also got the being mankind stuff as well. Mm -hmm. the, 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 I, and I love, I love the work they, they're doing around this, you know, trying to educate people around this toxic masculinity. Um, you know, they really, you know, you know, I certainly recommend people follow them on Twitter and, you know, certainly buy the book as well. The book's great. If you buy a copy of the book, I'm going to plug their book. You buy a copy of the book, they buy a book for the schools and they put it into schools to help um, educate children around gender bias. No, it's a great plug and it's an important one as well. You know, thanks, thanks for making me aware of them. I think Darjan's an amazing, amazing yeah, man. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I'll have the... I, I did a podcast with him if you haven't done one already. It's a really good point. I've not actually reached out to him yet. So no, that's my next one. I'm coming to get you. Darjan, I'm coming. <laughs> so, um, so, did you know something? Just, something you've just made me think about there as well. You know, some people do say, oh, it's all a bit male bashing, all this me too, you know, the gender pay gap, etc. And I think it's right that we are having these conversations. But actually, in the moment, you've just created in me as well. If we could have those all, almost all male groups, uh, organisations, talk through some of this toxic masculinity stuff, you know, you do have all women groups for right reasons. Maybe actually an all-male group to talk about this stuff, then bring in mixed people once they sort of start to deal with it. I don't know. It's just in the moment. I don't know if that yeah, creates... I don't, I don't, again, I don't know. I don't know. The dynamic is actually, you know, there's this, you know, I don't know whether the dynamic would be because of the expectation of men actually it would work in a workshop or group context because actually the whole... It's start the premise is actually you have to hold it in, don't you? you have to be emotionally mm. strong and hold it all in. So actually, if you've got a group of men that you know that aren't willing to share it probably would go mm. nowhere so i don't know what how the what the medium would be but mm. it certainly suggests there is work that is ha happening and needs to continue to happen around um men that are feeling the pressure because of the expectations being placed upon them and actually even the penalties they might be experiencing if they're not um conforming to what is expected of you know a stereotypical male I'm not sure whether it would work in a group format mm. um, but it's it's important work it's really important work well, look, I've nearly had you an hour already, and I can yeah. talk to you for days, which is quite scary. I can talk for days, which is even scarier. <laughs> <laughs> how, 
how, how can people reach out to you? What's your website for the Bias Gym? What sort of Twitter handles, etc.? How can people get you, Joe? Uh, so my Twitter handle is just Joe Candola. I'm not I'm not really active on Twitter very much. I do occasionally get on there and have little spats with um, Tom Peters, as you know, as you have experienced about his beliefs about men and women are different. <laughs> um, and um, uh, the Bias Gym is the biasgym.com. Uh, so you can see what we're doing on there. And um, yeah, you can just email us info at the bias gym. Um, .co.uk um, or .com, I can't remember which one, but yeah, you can, the, all, the, all the details are on there. Yeah, and just reach out and, you know, more than happy to chat and share what we're doing. Um, and, you know, we're working with organisations in particular and just trying to push that needle. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure all your details are added. And uh, a final shout out to Tom Peters. Some of his stuff's pretty good, actually, some of his work, but his thoughts around that particular topic certainly got uh, yeah, exactly. yeah. so, He's uh, He's done some fantastic work in his, in his career, without a doubt. It's just, <laughs> we just fundamentally disagree on this belief that men and women are different. And if anybody wants to go and have a look at that, it was a really, really fun discussion. I think it's the first time Joe and I had really interacted on Twitter and um, Tom responded. It was, I think it went on for about three days. So it clearly... A bit of, um, a bit of um, backlash towards a woman that's being assertive, should we say? <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite interesting to see some of the um, gendered behaviours coming out towards me. <laughs> quite directly yes anyway so um yeah an, inter an interesting one to look back in the, the, the twitter histories for but um, best regards tom and best regards to to joe so thank you so much for joining me today and i'll, I'll get all your details in the show notes thanks a lot thank you so much take care bye bye Hi there, just Gary Turner wrapping up this brilliant podcast with uh, Joe Candola today. I've got so many takeaways uh, from, the, from this conversation today, but I think one of the, my biggest reflections I'd like to share, and this has really, really sidelined me, to be honest, because it's really brought a few pieces of my, my personal jigsaw and thinking together. Joe quoted that in order to get gender parity, we need to start focusing on the area of men and boys, i.e. around toxic masculinity. The mental health situation around young men is not good. Until this part shifts, the discussion around um, equal pay and gen gender equality, etc., with regard to females, can't shift either. That's such a critical point because certainly what I'm okay, I, I'm a big proponent, and I truly believe that vulnerability-led leadership, regardless of gender or background or or, or how someone um, identifies themselves, is absolutely the way forward in, in the future of work. However, this this clarity, this absolute clarity from someone that is evidence-based that we need to get the the male part of this equation right almost first because if we don't we're still sort of throwing sticky plasters at this at this situation so that's a really big reflection for me and I'd like to hear from anybody if this is a um, either a, clarif a clarification piece or, or a helpful piece of reflection for you as well the premise behind Joe's business that she set up the bias gym is that not all biases are the same and I think sometimes now, I've done a bit of recent unconscious bias training myself online um, via Salesforce, and it's not clear that message. You know, we talk about unconscious bias as an overall thing, and we don't necessarily take into account that different biases need different support um, to, to be able to manage those biases or indeed try to eradicate them. I really like the fact that Joe's product, the Bias Gym, uh, is, is around bite-sized learning, so it's something you can do in a few minutes per day, and I really, really thought it was fantastic that 
she's actively promoting the, her, her product to help people when they go into more critical decision making. So, for example, annual reviews, you know, looking at recruitment, looking at promotion, you know, to deliberately and intentionally train ourselves or, 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 or remind ourselves as to where some of our biases may show up in advance of those important decisions, I think is a really, really critical step forward. And again, I'd be interested in, in your point of view on that. It's interesting hearing Joe talk about the power of story and being inspiring to her. And that she said that, you know, you just need to expose people to everything. And I think in a world of polarity where you've got people on so far on the left or so far on the right, really finding it difficult for some reason to be able to have a debate or a conversation in the middle. I think this is even more important uh, and takes me back to a couple of the other conversations, such as the one with uh, Jen Anderson in, in episode 11, where she grew up in multicultural Brixton and absolutely loved it. And that stayed with her throughout her life. You know, the more we expose ourselves to everything, the better. And hopefully this conversation and the other conversations in this podcast series are one way of trying to um, facilitate that. Finally, just want to, 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 to share the comment uh, of Joe that bias is being preconditioned almost before a child is born. So for all those parents out there or people that have got friends or family or nieces or nephews that are, are about to come into this world, you know, please do share this podcast. You know, the, the gender stereotypes that exist within um, marketing, within organizations, within uh, retail outlets that, that we go to, there's still a, an awful lot of uh, blue for boy and pink for girl. And, you know, I see this every day. But what we don't realize are the, the unintended consequences of bringing up that young person into a gender stereotyped um, environment. So this isn't about being politically correct, as you could hear from my conversation with Joe today. She helped challenge me back on that. But it certainly is about being fully inclusive, giving these young people, giving ourselves the chance to understand as many diverse backgrounds, different thought processes, challenge our own thinking, challenge the thinking of others. And I just think this is just such a wholesome call to action really for us to really look at ourselves and i'd really call on any organization to or, or individual to reach out to joe to try and understand more about the work that she's doing um in, in terms of trying to tackle bias because clearly it's good for humanity it's good for us as a human race and i truly believe it's good for us to to better connect uh, particularly as technology um, continues to pick up a pace now let's use joe's technology to try and help educate one another and help us all be more curious about the biases we may have and therefore uh, yeah, help, help connect us more. Hope that this resonates. Please do reach out and offer feedback to Joe and or myself. And I'd also, if you found this an interesting podcast, I'd really appreciate, appreciate it if you could rate the podcast. The podcast is valued through vulnerability. If you could rate it on um, iTunes, any feedback would be greatly appreciated. I do hope that you will join us on the next podcast and all the very best for now. Thank you really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the value through vulnerability podcast you can find out much more about hexo change at hexochangenow.com that's h-e-x-o change now one word.com you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website which includes information about live stream conversations further service offerings blogs but also our in-person events of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.